give a hearty amen to all that. I'm thankful to be able to listen to it. And uh, we get the same the same countenance too, y'all. It's all it's it's kind of strange. Your voice goes up about three octaves and you start talking in your baby voice, and there he is, you know, on the other end of the phone. And it does, the little count the countenance of a child like that when it's your son or your grandson. Uh, it, it makes you happy, but it doesn't compare to the countenance of God, uh, the, the the smiles of God and the approvals of God, the presence of God, uh, and the, the countenance of our Lord is is uh is certainly uh, tops, and uh, and that puts us in awe and gives us sweet liberty and peace in our souls, and we're we're grateful that there has been a uh, trumpet sound. We're thankful. Uh, for the uh, strange, my, my sermon for the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about the trumpet. I'm not going there because I've, I've been diverted to another uh, another thought, but that, that's that been on my mind of late. And, uh, you know, we, uh, Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, how shall the people know to go to battle if the trumpet give an uncertain sound? If you don't preach the doctrine right, if you don't preach discipleship right if you don't rightly divide the word of truth god's people are like people in war have no idea what they're listening to uh and how to prepare or, or how to how to proclaim a victory in one area and prepare to battle in another because the victory in christ is there uh but our battle is still here and uh, and our war is still at hand and now my, my war has nothing to do with what he did <laughs> it doesn't affect his outcome but it is my war and my battle. And if, it, if that trumpet gives an uncertain sound, how shall you know to gather yourself? I hope to blow it right this morning. I, my brother Cole just blew it right. And uh, when, it's, when it's blown in a right way, it, uh, it, it makes a, a harmonious sound understandable and you know exactly what's going on. In the second uh, book of, uh, or the second Corinthian letter, uh, the Apostle Paul says, 18th verse, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay or yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, which is the same as Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. So that the Apostle Paul is, is establishing the fact that when, we, when Christ is preached correctly, when it, when, it, when it comes to the work of Christ, you never can attach a nay to it. All right? You can't, you can't, it's not yea and nay. Uh, it is always yea in Christ Jesus. And, and when the Apostle Paul preached, he did not preach a Jesus Christ that wanted to do something but might not be able. And that, that, that would hinge upon, thank you, Brother Ryan, that's, uh, that hinges upon sinners. That would be saying yea and nay that, this is what he's done. Now, if he to get it accomplished, he's got to depend on a corruptible man like me. Come now, you know. Let's think about that with some kind of spirit, uh, some kind of sense. And God said to His people, "Come, let us reason together." If God reasons with you, you're going to come to the conclusion that everything in Christ is yea. There is no nay in that. And guess what? In me, there's only nay. Uh, so there, there. God cannot look to me to help. All right. So. So Christ, uh, Paul is saying concerning Christ, everything is yea. 
Then he says, for all the promises of God in him. All the promises of God that are in Christ are yea and amen. And uh, listen, when, when, when you can amen yourself, and Paul just did, because what he said was important. That simply means it's in agreement. So when, when you amen somebody who's preaching, you're, you're, you're agreeing with them what they're saying. Uh, and, uh, and Paul is agreeing with himself. And why shouldn't he? All the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus are yes or yea and amen. <clears throat> Unto the glory of God by us. And that's the best that, they, that a minister can do is preach to the glory of God. Now, I want to talk about the promise, the promises of God. I won't ever get to the, the, the uh, second part of this. Uh, I have a hard time, as you know, managing my time. And there's, a, there's enough to cover. But uh, in, the, in the book of uh, Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy, Paul says that bodily exercise, in other words, just going through the routine of things, uh, bodily exercise profiteth little. He's not talking about getting on the elliptical. He's talking about religious service. And just to do things from a habit of doing it or, or because it's Sunday and that's the only reason I'm going or, or it's a special occasion, that's little profit. But godliness is great gain. Having the promise of the life that now is, and we're living that life in the kingdom of God this morning, having the promise of the life that now is and... Of that which is to come. So there is a promise. So you saw plural. The promises of God that are in Christ. Are always yea and amen. Concerning both. But I'm going to be more particularly. Speaking of. uh, That which is to come. Because that which is to come. Should affect our life that now is. And how we get that. And how how that is obtained. And uh, the means by which it is obtained. Ought to affect. The way we serve God and, and, and how we worship and how we sing, what we sing. You know, we should be really careful on, on uh, songs that we sing. If it's not doctrinally sound, it ought not to be sung because it doesn't ring out as it should. It's a, it's a bad blowing trumpet. Somebody wrote something that just was not correct, even though they might have been truly a child of God. It, it really does make a difference to God. Uh, folks, how we praise God and, and what we think about God. So, concerning the promises of God, let's go to uh, Titus. All right, let's go to Titus first, and, and then we're going to start here. Um, and Paul is addressing a, a, uh, a minister of the gospel. Uh, Paul said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, Paul was a servant and an apostle. You see? He just wasn't an apostle and didn't serve. He served God and he was an apostle. And his apostleship, which was his preaching, right, was according to the faith of God's elect. It's according to the faith of God's elect. Nobody, listen, there's no, the the faith of God's elect is the the faith that Paul preached. And I'm I'm going to show you uh, this morning uh, how... (laughs) Just like Brother Cole said, we, we can preach victory and we can sing victory in Jesus. And, and some folks may not be able to sing it quite that way or they may, they may sing the song, but they may be thinking, victory in Jesus if I get it right. 
you know, if, uh, if, if, man, if I, if I attend enough of the services of God and I give enough money and, and, uh, and, and my, my life is good enough at the end and I, I tip that scale just a little bit in my favor, that's really all that I want. Listen, I want to alleviate that thought from anybody here. And if anybody would listen to the podcast, uh, which is one of the uh, advantages of modern technology, uh, who are struggling with such doubts, I want to alleviate that doubt in them. I want them, when they sing victory in Jesus, to understand that Jesus Christ is a conqueror of sin, death, hell, and the grave. He didn't try to do it for anybody. He did it according to the faith of God's elect or for God's family, His chosen family. So, Paul, as always, and which you know, which the Lord talked about Himself. That's the reason uh, Jesus Christ says the days of the tribulation in Jerusalem be shortened uh, for my elect's sake. That is, for their sake, I'm going to shorten those days, even though it's still a long time. But listen, if you read about that, any time taken off is a blessing. That was a horrible thing. <clears throat> so this is a this is according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth. To acknowledge the truth. Like, like Brother Cole was talking about, the, when, uh, when Paul talked to the Ephesians, he said that, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That is, there, there is when, when the trumpet sounds right and the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, you can say, this is my treasure. This is my Savior. I can't have another one but Him. When you learn total depravity, you understand you need a perfect Savior. You don't need a helper. <laughs> you need a Savior, period. And God's children are depraved individuals. Mankind is. God's children are no less. All right. <clears throat> Which is after godliness in hope of eternal life. And that word means an expectation. That's not a wish. That's not a bet. He's not rolling the dice and see where this all winds up. Because it's based on a foundation. Paul can say truly, I have an expectation of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in these due times, that is the times he was living in, manifest his word. Notice the promise was before the world began. But in the gospel times, it's just manifest or opened up, made known. Through preaching, Paul said, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And, and preachers today, if they're called of God, it's the same thing. It's according to the commandment of God. It's not a, it's not a uh, you know, a, a preaching is, is uh, not an employment. Uh, it's not a business decision. If you think that uh, that so and so church they got a congregation of about 2,500 people, if I can, if I can outdo that preacher there and they hire me, my income's going to be high. And so I go go to go figure out how to learn how to preach. You you can't learn how to preach. You can learn a lot about the Bible, but you can't learn how to preach. It is a gift of God. That's why Paul told Timothy to stir the gift that is in you, uh, and it is by commandment of God. So when, when God places that on a man, that man right there needs to study the Word of God and needs to write the divide the Word like Brother Lonnie talked about last week. And he needs to talk about the promise of God. That God who cannot lie, eternal life, is a promise. It's, it's not a... Uh, God, God was not rolling the dice there either and saying, this, this is what we're going to try to do. Listen, there's a lot that happened 
before the world began, right? Uh, you read in the Bible and you see that terminology a lot. And this promise was one of those things, the promise of eternal life. And God can't lie. God, and He can't deviate from who He is. When God promises something and He promises eternal life, that's what we just read. But He promised it before the world began. And, uh, you know, in the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the children of God being chosen in Christ before the world began. So you have the promise, and you have the substance of that promise, both before the world began. Now, you know, we, you, you, we think about, about the before the world began as eternity and how God must have been, you know, just, just lived so, or been existing so long, and He just decides to, to do something. There, listen, God is not bound by time. It, it's just like it's always in the presence with God. He does not grow old. He doesn't have. Uh, he doesn't get tired or bored with himself. Uh, we're bound by time. We're we're governed by it. So when God created this earth, when God created the heavens and the earth in an instant by His own voice and power, that's when time began. Especially we got to measure it more so when the sun and its rotation or the earth spinning and its rotation around the sun. We have measurements of time. We're bound by time. God was not. Listen, God, God has been always in existence. I cannot fathom that. So when it says before the foundation of the world, it's not that God was bored and decided to do something that He had never done before. God is just always God. He's always there, and there's no time that He... He's no, it's not on time crunch. I, I feel like we, you know, me and Ginger, we're on time crunch sometimes trying to get the garden in. And uh, poor, poor old Meemaw, she calls and, and uh, worries about Ginger. Me, wor- I know she worries about me working her today. <laughs> I can hear it in her voice. <laughs> and uh, we, we come in, and we because we got to get the peas, yeah, we got people needing peas, and, and uh, so, so we're kind of on a time crunch. That's not how God exists. He doesn't work that way. So God, uh, so when before the foundation of the world, we know that we are chosen in Christ. There's the promise of eternal life in Christ. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, Be not ashamed. Of, of, uh, of the gospel, nor of me, the, or be not ashamed of the gospel of God, nor me, his prisoner, but be, be, be ye partakers of the affliction of the gospel, uh, <clears throat> that God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, comma, not according to our works. So the saving and the calling, your works had nothing to do with God who has saved us and called us, comma, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was giving, given us in Christ before the foundation of the world. A lot went on before God ever said, let there be light. Listen, this, this work of salvation was fixed. And it's fixed in the Godhead. It wasn't fixed. This promise is not that uh, I promise I'll give it to you if. This promise is fixed in God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, before the world was even formed. In fact, folks who say, well, uh, Jesus didn't die until like 4,000 years after the world was created. That's true. But guess what he was, according to the Scriptures? He was a lamb as slain before the foundation of the world. How about that? God, it was as good as done in the, in the mind and purpose or the promise of God before God ever spoke this world into existence. The, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He separates the sheep from the goats, and, and uh, He separates His sheep, 
That's what it says. As a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. Says the sheep on his right hand, tells them, Come ye, blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And then in his prayer in John 17, Jesus Christ says, Father, thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Thou hast loved me from the foundation of the world. A lot went on, didn't it? A lot went on before the foundation of the world. The, the promise of God was fixed in God before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul says. God who cannot lie promised eternal life before the foundation of the world. So is there anything in this foundation of the world and from time from the time it starts to the time God says it's over that will affect that promise from coming to pass? If there is, folks, then God may not get this right. But if there is not, then there's a reason for you to say victory in Jesus. For this is God's promise, and you and I are not there to help him. Not a man has been formed yet. You know, it's the sixth day after creation, the sixth day of creation, that man was formed. Brother Lonnie hit it right. He said the reason why, so, so man could not take credit for the other five days and the things that went on before, because we would. Listen, we would we'd glory in ourselves. We have that tendency to glory in ourselves after the fall especially. We're horrible in glorying in ourselves. <clears throat> but all of this, there's nobody there but the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now, if the promise of eternal life, and it is a promise, and, you know, and, and promises, uh, you can make one, you might break it. God cannot break it because he says he can't lie. He can't lie. It's impossible for God not to bring this to pass. All right. Now, if there is a promise of eternal life, surely there's a people attached to it. There has to be a people. We said there, you know, there's a lot that went on. There's chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Grace and purpose of Christ, that, that is in Christ was before the foundation of the world. We're loved like God loves Christ before the foundation of the world. The kingdom was prepared before the foundation of the world. A lot went on. Now, let's go to the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews is, is written to the Hebrews. It's pretty obvious, right? So <laughs> to, to know a little bit about this, you have to you know, have some knowledge concerning the Old Testament. Concerning the Hebrews. Now, when God called Abraham, God didn't ask Abraham, would you mind coming out and doing something? And, if, and uh, you know, we'll see if, uh, we'll see if I can make you a great nation. God called him out and said, and made a promise to Abraham. I am going to make a nation of you that is going to be as many as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the seashore. And you go, imagine Abraham. <laughs> I'm just one person. This is me. How can this be? Because God said, I promised it. Now, Abraham was around 75 years old when God promised that he's going to have a son by his wife, Sarah. Isaac was a promised child. Isaac was, uh, God knew his name. He already named him. So when uh, 25 years later, when Abraham was, was 100 years old and Sarah was like, you know, 99, she got expecting a child. Just like God promised. Sorry, I didn't mean to spit. Just like God promised. Let me get a drink of water. My mouth's dry. Just like God swore. Now, th now this is a 
this is a promise concerning a nation being formed, right? That, a, that, a, that God promised to one certain man. And that's how, that's how highly these people exalt Abraham. God made promise to him, promised him a child named Jacob. I mean, Isaac promised that Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, when she had twins, that one of these is going to serve, the, the elder is going to serve the younger, right? Jacob is my promised child. It was not Ishmael, who was the half-brother of Isaac. It was not uh, Esau, which was the whole brother of Jacob. So God promises people in a, in a lineage of things to get 12 sons now from Jacob in which they would spring as a multitude like the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore. You know what the proof of, the, of God's promise being uh, right is in this, in this instance? Is there, Hebrew, there's, there are Jews on the earth. Listen, there's history of the Jews. They've been treated bad. There's no doubt about that. And they treated the Lord bad. There's no doubt about that. But can anybody say that God did not make true on that promise? The proof is they're here. And they're still here. Now, they can't trace their... They have no, no, no way to trace their uh, uh, lineage back to Abraham. God destroyed that in the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, they lost everything. But the promise of God concerning Abraham, and that's what Paul is talking about here, Then he, because the lesson is, if God promised and brought to pass that to Abraham, do you not think that same God, who, who eternal life is a promise, will not bring it to pass? And there will be a people attached to it. With that in mind, let's read. Chapter 6. <clears throat> Paul says in the... Uh, 13th verse, when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. There's nobody, you know, we, sometimes we swear. We, if, uh, if you swear something, you say, I swear on my daddy's grave. I swear on the Bible. You know, a lot of times when they, they used to, I guess they still do, you put your, right, uh, put your left hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, and you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. I don't know if they still use that now in modern society. They might. I hope they do. But it is a swearing on something greater than you. Guess what? God had nothing else greater than him. When, he, when, he, when, this, when this promise, this eternal life promise, before the foundation of the world, God could not swear by anything greater than him. So he just swear by himself. <clears throat> Saying, surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. So after that, he patiently endured, that is Abraham, he obtained that promise of that child, right? He obtained the promise. God promised it, and there he is. Against all odds. Abraham had faith, which shows he was spiritually alive. He had faith, and he waited patiently. Now, there is something else hidden in what God told Abraham. And I, I left it out on purpose to get to it now. He says, I will multiply thee as the stars of heaven and as the sand by the seashore innumerable. And, and, from thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. There's going to be some seed, somebody in your lineage that I'm going to bring forth in a proper time. And all the nations of the earth, because God has a people in every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation, are going to be blessed. Doesn't say they might be. 
We hope it's going to work out. We're going to see how it works. He says, they will be blessed. So that, and that same confirmation, God said the exact words to Isaac. God said the exact words to Jacob. And then you follow the, 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 you know, the, the lineage of that right on through Judah, all the way down to this little lady. After, after uh, goes through David, of course. Splits off from, from, from David and goes through Nathan to this little Jewish woman, a virgin named Mary. You can take, you can take the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ and his lineage back to Adam from Mary. Every one of them's in there. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, you're talking about a family tree. It's a big one. Big family tree. But it goes right back to Adam. All right. So he was the seed, right? There, there is a promise that God cannot lie. All right. So he says, For men verily or truly swear by a greater, and an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Whatever they're striving about, once they come to an agreement, there's confirmation. We swear by this. We're not, you know, it's like if somebody, if, if your horse is stolen, and you think it is the, the, the guy down the road, and you... you you, uh, you accuse him and you go down and you say, listen, I know you stole my horse. And he says, I was not there. He says, yes, it, somebody said they saw you uh, and that you were there and my horse is gone now. And he says, I swear on the Bible, I did not, I did not steal your horse. Well, then the guy goes home and looks at his video. And he looks at his video and somebody looks like him. But he notices a tattoo on the right arm that this other man did not have. And he says... Your swearing was right, and that is an end of strife. Now, if, if a man swears it, it should have been right from then. But at least it made him go look at the video, right? So, so a, a confirmation or an end of strife is that when people swear by something greater, and since God can't, he swore by himself, and since there is no strife in heaven before the foundation of the world, God understands and knows exactly what is to follow there will be some strife between a holy God and you and I, sinners. Who by nature, I'm talking about God's children, those chosen in Christ, as Paul talked about, of all nations that are going to be blessed. They are conceived in sin and shaping in iniquity, according to the psalmist David. They go forth as soon as they're born, speaking lies. I, I, I can watch little Teddy start... Kicking at his mama already. Little, little six-month-old Teddy getting a diaper change, starts kicking at his mama, not real happy. Uh, and, and listen, we're, we're, we are shaping in iniquity. We're conceived in sin. We are the natural enemies to, to righteousness because we don't have any. We're void of righteousness. And uh, listen, there's, there's not that there's just a little good. Listen, when somebody come up with that, that, that saying there's a little good in everybody, it, it flies in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ to which the Son of God ought to have the last say on it. And let's just believe Him. When the, uh, when the rich young ruler came, Good Master, what should I do that I might have eternal life? And Jesus says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but God only. So let's don't say there's a little good in everybody. Jesus says there's none, but God only. And since He's God, there is good in Christ. 
There's good in the Holy Spirit. There is good in God the Father. There is no good in you and I. That's why Paul said, There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none good. There's none that seeketh after God. There is none that, uh, that seek the way of peace. Uh, so, you know, the, the great bobsy of, of, of human flesh that is laid out and exposed like a filleted fish over in the third chapter of the book of Romans. There we are. So, so the strife that God has is between a God who is offended with sin and hates it. You know, God just does not dislike sin. He hates it. Hates it. For it said concerning Christ, thou hast loved righteousness and hateth iniquity. He hates everything about my iniquity. He still does. I'm glad don't hate me. He'd have a right to. Oh, yes, he would. He'd have a right to. If it was not for the promise. If it was not for the promise, right? All right. So God is going to end the strife. That's what Paul is saying here. Because of a swearing by himself. And you and I did not have to consent to this. There's nobody that had to, that God said, if it's okay with you, this is how we're going to try this. Let's see how it works out. There's no consent between God and us. This went on in the eternal God, in the Godhead. For men swear by the greater, and no confirmation in the, is a, to them is the end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. We had a promise of eternal life before the foundation of the world, and we got heirs of that promise. That says they are rightfully heirs. That is, they are, they're affixed to this promise, to this family, even though they're going to be separated by their sins, right? They're still affixed to it. They are the heirs of this promise. When you're an heir of something, you have a right to it by, work, by, by that which you uh, are, are, are a part of in the beginning. My children, had, they had no option to be born by me and Ginger. No option. We conceived our children, and guess what? There they were. But because they are our children, then they have a right to our inheritance. They, they'll inherit what we have. It won't be a lot, but it'll be some. Uh, they'll have a right to the inheritance. Now, so this promise is because of a pre-existing, before the foundation of the world, people affixed to Jesus Christ before they ever were formed, before Adam was ever formed. They're called the heirs of promise. And, and their heirship is not by sonship like Jesus, the eternal Son of God. It is by adoption. So Paul would say things like this, being predestinated into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to God according to His own good pleasure and to the glory of His grace. Man, this is glorious to God. This is grace, friends, that is not tainted with the works of man. When, it's, when, when, uh, when the trumpet sounds right, this just shows you that man, uh, you know, how, how, the heirs of, how the heirs of promise are, are, are become the children of God. It is by adoption. So God takes them from the family of Adam, quickens them by His Spirit, and they become or manifestly become the sons of God. But it's not that you were not the children of God before. You were just astray and lost. So Paul said uh, in, the, in the book of uh, I think the book of Romans, he says, Because ye are sons, no it's Galatians, because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, whereby ye cry, Abba Father. It's because you are, because you're an heir of eternal life. Of a promise that God God swear by Himself and He cannot lie. You know, brother brother Jeff Winfrey preached a a, a, a 
sermon on adoption. And he made this statement. And, and, and this, is, I mean, this goes to show you, though, you know, just how, how pitiful mankind is. If, uh, if somebody adopts a child, so say, say Ginger and I decide to, to adopt a, 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 a seven-month-old child. We go make the selection, right? We make the selection. The, the cost for that child is whatever it takes, and we, we pay the cost. We go through the, through the, through the court and, and all the paperwork, and then the child is legally ours. Well, then all of our friends and our family and all the neighbors come up, and they, they say, how wonderful that is of you to adopt a child that really wasn't yours. To give them something they would not have if it's if you didn't do this, they'll pat you on the back. They'll 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 exalt you. They'll say what a what a wonderful person you are to uh, to adopt. And yet when it comes to God, they'll say that is the most cruel thing you can ever preach. And yet that is exactly listen, God. It is by adoption, and it's, that's why it's called the spirit of adoption. That is this proof of your uh, you being an heir of God when God quickens you. That did not make you a child of God, but it is proof that you've always been boy. That just puts you in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes you righteous and fit now for the kingdom on this earth, the life that now is, and for that which is to come, which is a which is eternal life. It is eternal life. When you have when you're born of God, you have eternal life. Though you're going to war with this flesh, and one day you want. One day it'll be over. All right. God is willing more abundantly to show to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. That's a fancy word that just means unchangeable. God cannot change this. He can't alter this. He can't lie about it. He's willing to show unto these heirs of promises, to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel. He confirmed it or interposed himself with an oath. In other words, he swore and said, this is what I'm going to do. This is, how, this is how we're going to save our people from their sins. They are chosen in the Son. The Son has agreed to come into this world and die for them. The Spirit of God on that coming and die for them applies the work to their heart, which is eternal life, and it is a done deal. That is a promise. And that's a fix to God, and God cannot change. And when you know this, when you know that God can't change and He is immutable, it's un, you, man cannot, devil cannot. I don't care what they preach. They may preach all day long that you're going to fall out of heaven. You're going to fall out of the grace of God if you don't do this, that, or the other. I'm going to tell you, friends, you cannot get out of this promise. Now, you can make your life a wreck and a ruin, and you can bring God's judgments upon you, as God's children can do and often do, but you cannot remove this promise, nor change God, nor alter Him in it. It is a fixed thing in God, in the Son, in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the Holy God that simply is unchangeable. And God cannot lie about that. Which by two unchangeable things, which was His, his counsel that to save and the oath that He interposed doing it Himself, in which it is impossible for God to lie. There Paul says it again. And then here is a scripture of identification. That we, might, that, that we might have a strong, not a little consolation, but a strong one. Now, it sounds like Paul knows a little bit about this promise, doesn't it? It sounds like Paul know, understands the, the, the work of God in this promise. 
that we might have a strong consolation to sing victory. We ought to sing victory in Jesus. We ought to. Who have fled for refuge. Oh my goodness. Every child of God, when they're born of the Spirit of God, have a need of refuge because now they understand themselves as sinners. That's how this identifies you as a child, as an heir of promise. A promise that was before the foundation of the world. Eternal life was that promise. God can't lie about it. God can't lie about the, the counsel and the oath that sealed it for the heirs of promise. And all the promises in Christ are yea and amen. So being born again is a promise that is a yea and an amen. <clears throat> all of this gives a strong consolation to those who have fled for refuge. Now, I would like to go and talk about that. I don't have time. Because he's, he's, he's alluding this because they're Hebrews to those cities of refuge. Because there's a need for people to run back then, right? There's a need for people, there's a need when God's children are born again to run to God. <clears throat> Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor. I mean, can you imagine the anchor that Christ would be if it was a physical anchor? I mean, there's, no, there's not a ship large enough. There's no waves big enough to move Jesus Christ. This is a firm anchor. When you understand this promise, you understand Jesus Christ, you understand this is an anchor that is sure and is steadfast and that which is entered into the veil which is heaven. That's, that's, that's typical of heaven, right? Whether the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus, there your anchor sits right now in victory. He doesn't sit in, uh, in, 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 in quite uh, perplexity of, of whether or not this promise that He is, and I'm going to show you that in a second. I know time is fleeting. Uh, bear with me. That Jesus Christ uh, is sitting in heaven as the victorious Savior. That's right. he's, not, he's, not, he's not there... Uh, with any kind of confusion on whether or not this is going to turn out right. Listen, when, when, when you remove from God's children the doubt of... Uh, and, and, and the gospel trumpet will do that. Because you press, if you press people, you press them and, and, and ask them... Well, just what do I have to what is what well you have to do this, this, and still you can fall. Well how how do I know I fall? Well, if you sin. Well the uh, God uh, Paul says the Galatians, if I offend in one point, then the whole law I'm guilty of. Does that bear me back in to have to start over? You know, if I offend in one point, if I if, in other words, if I break one of the commandments of God and then, and, then, and certainly if I do then the whole law, I'm guilty of the whole thing. Does that bury me back to where I've got to start out of this hole again? Well, I don't know that. Well, tell me that. This is important. Somebody tell me the level I've got to reach and where I've got to be when this is all said and done. Because I'm a sinner. Now, if I dream something at night and I don't wake up and repent and I die before that, am I going to hell? Well, I don't know. So eventually they come around to this. I guess you just have to trust God. Guess what? I think we ought to start there. I don't think that's where, I don't think that's where we ought to wind up. I think if we start there 
it alleviates a lot of confusion, and it begins with understanding God is a God of promise. And Jesus Christ is a victorious Savior seated at the right hand of God right now. Now, let's go to the book of... uh, you know, there, if, if you got a promise of eternal life before the world began, and you've got heirs of that promise, <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke is going to kind of show us the means of that promise. And I think you already know it, right? In Jesus Christ, all the promises in, that are in Him are yea and amen. Now, when, when a man is, you know, all Scripture been in, given by inspiration of God, sometimes... You know, you read the Bible and, and, uh, and you have to remind yourself that this is literally as if God penned these words, though God uh, moved in man to do so. But there were times in the Bible when people talked and when they spake, they spake by the Holy Ghost. That is, just like Jesus Christ told his disciples, when they, when they bring you before the magistrates and set you there, don't even worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Ghost is going to talk for you. I'd like to know what they said, wouldn't you? It's like, it's like, I'm not even going to prepare this. Because he says, don't prepare. So that's what happens here to the father of John the Baptist, whose son was just a newborn, just now born, and they called him John. When everybody was amazed, I was calling him after your daddy. No, made a piece of paper, called him John. What? John? Anyway, in a family named John. I don't care. That's what God said, name him. I'm going to go with God. All right. <clears throat> So now, you know, Zacharias was shut up, couldn't talk because of his disbelief. Now his tongue is loosed and the Holy Ghost fills him to speak. Listen to his words. Listen, if, if you want to form the doctrine of grace off a certain amount of scriptures, this is a good one to form on because this will harmonize the rest of it. All right. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied, or prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Almost like if it's a thing in the past, right? I mean, he's visited and redeemed his Israel. And that's not, that's not the nation. That's part of that nation. Those chosen in Christ, given to Christ, part of the promise. But Zacharias is talking about his people, the heirs of promise. He hath visited and redeemed his people. By what means? He he hath raised up a horn of salvation. That just means power. The power to save. Somebody with the power to save, God has raised him up, even though he is a, a, a small infant in the womb of this virgin Mary. He's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, which he promised, of all the holy prophets, he said, and he spake, which he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which were since the world began. This is nothing new. God has been telling people this ever since God formed this world. And that I'm going to raise me up a Savior. Just like in, just like in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant in whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delighteth. That's talking about Christ, right? For Christ was a chosen vessel to die for a chosen people given to Him. I don't mind being called the elect if Jesus Christ is called one. I don't mind being affixed to Him in that, 
in that term whatsoever. I love it, folks, because that is He is all my salvation. He's not just part of it. He is all of it. And God said, and, uh, the prophet Isaiah said concerning Jesus Christ, He shall not fail nor be discouraged. I mean, what if He loses one? I would be discouraged if I could not save my people that I loved. Or if I, if I did all I could and blessed their hearts, they just could not get it right. And they didn't meet the standard that nobody could tell them. Christ doesn't even tell us that. You know why? Because there's not one to meet. He met the standard himself. And that's what Zacharias is saying here. God raised up a horn of salvation. The power to save belonged to Jesus Christ. To perform the mercy promised. To perform the promise. This was the, this was the consummation of the promise, y'all. There was promised to our fathers when he told them, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. To remember that holy covenant that God made before the world began with himself and swore by himself, this is how I'm going to do it. And there's the heirs of promise, the promise of eternal life, and here is the subject matter that's going to give them eternal life. My son, Jesus Christ. The oath which he sware to our father Abraham, which he cannot lie, right? That he would grant unto us that we, now this, this is all by the Holy Spirit, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. He's not talking about the Romans because guess what? The Romans took over this nation about 40-something years later, or 37 years later. Ruined them. Destroyed them. What enemies did Christ deliver you from? From hell? A great enemy, one I've worried about uh, a few times. From death, though I might die, I won't stay there. From sin, it will not have the last word over me. From the devil, my constant accuser. Constantly accusing, constantly telling me. Plenty of enemies, y'all, that Jesus Christ conquered by bowing his head. Looked like defeat, but it was victory. So he would, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In other words, without fear of any of these enemies ever rising up again. The enemies of our works. Of even, even considering that our, I, I, you know, Paul said that he saved us and called us not according to our works. Now works has a place. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus that God had before ordained that we should walk in them. That is to the praise and glory of God, which we, we do not want to diminish our works. But they have no place in this promise concerning Jesus Christ. And that we can serve him without the fear of worrying about are we going to make it and do enough and victory in Jesus if, if. Listen, I, I'm amazed at what we heard this weekend and that... Uh, and, and I'm not going to say anything, but, but somebody told me something that just perplexes me. But you know what? I've been told by primitive Baptist things before that I am perplexed at what they say. People say things concerning God and concerning salvation. Uh, and, 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 you know, one of the great things, what Bubba sent me not too long ago, was a, was a text about somebody saying that God needs you to do His work. God needs us. 
you know, that, that, that we are to work for God and that, that we're to, to help get His people saved. This is our responsibility. Listen, this will save you from that fear. I don't want the, the I, I do not, I can't bear that responsibility. Can you? And listen, and, and you really put people to the test who believe this. If, I, if, if, I, if there's a gospel minister who, who thinks that he is a part of getting people to heaven and he's golfing on Saturday afternoon, tell me something about a system like that when my salvation is pinned on somebody who's golfing or watching a ball game on Sunday after church. Don't put my salvation in the hands of a man who won't even spend the time to preach. I mean, it don't make sense. That eternal life is based upon sinners. Listen, we got to sleep. But guess who don't sleep? God doesn't sleep. Neither does he slumber. He always is always awake. He always saves his people from their sins. And, and, and we are not a part of that method. Ministers are not a part of that method. I don't. Surely you wouldn't want me to be a part of your eternal salvation. You might even like the way I preach. I don't know. Uh, but my goodness. There's a lot of time I waste that I'm not preaching the gospel because I've got a family. Don't even make sense, does it? This is going to clear it up. Listen, when the Holy Ghost preaches, just listen to the Holy Ghost when He's speaking through a man. Then now we can serve Him without fear, any of this stuff. We can serve Him in holiness and in righteousness before Him all the days of our life. Not, not just when we choose to, but all the days of our life, let's serve Him without fear. He's worthy of that. And then He turns to the babe, to John. His son, who can't understand anything. Well, I do not know that. He leapt for he leapt for joy when he was in the womb of Elizabeth when he heard the salutation of Mary. He may understand everything. Being filled with the Holy Ghost, let me change that. He may have understood exactly what his father is saying. Turns to this infant child just born. And he says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. In other words, you're going to be the first preacher. In due time, you're going to start preaching the kingdom of God's at hand. Repent. Repent. Be baptized. Affix yourself to a body of believers. Serve the Lord, you who have fled and need to flee for refuge. He is your refuge. Now notice what the preacher can do. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people. Unto the other babes' people. The ones still in the womb of, of, of Mary. I can give the knowledge of salvation to you. I cannot give salvation. Not eternal. I can give the knowledge of salvation to you and to His people, again, the heirs of promise, by the remission of their sins. Now how does that happen? It's through the tender mercy of our God. What greater tender mercy was shown than not sparing the Son? Than laying your sins upon the Son of God. What greater mercy... That's why Paul beseeched our, our, our service to God. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body as living sacrifices. This is a tender mercy God has shown us. We reciprocate by serving Him and presenting our bodies because of this mercy. Does that make sense? The tender mercies of God, which is Christ, when mercy and truth met together and righteousness and peace kissed. 
he's it's Christ that has remitted your sins. Right? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Who shed this blood? Jesus Christ. Amen. Through the tender mercy of God, whereby, then he names him in a different way, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. The day spring. Which just means sun rising. I mean, this, <laughs> you're talking about the sun coming up. And I do mean S-O-N. I mean rising. Doesn't look like much right now, does it? That sun's going to be lifted up one day. The sun rising hath come. Jesus Christ called himself in the book of Revelations, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and the morning star. What is the morning star? It's the sun. Other stars go away, don't they? <laughs> you know, uh, if, we're, if we're compared to the other stars, guess what happens when the sun comes out? We just disappear. The only thing that is seen is the real star, uh, the, the morning star, Jesus Christ. Doesn't look like much now. But he is going to be victorious. He is the sun rising. He is the day spring that God has sent to visit us. And let's preach and give knowledge of salvation to God's people so that they can sing victory in him. All right. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. That's as good as what I can do. Right? As good as Brother Cope, any preacher, when it's concerning the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as good as we can do is to give knowledge of salvation. To explain the promise. God's promise. God swore. God did. The object of that promise are heirs of, of eternal life. Listen, there are so many other scriptures that we can talk about this promise. But the time is up. Uh, I do appreciate your, uh, your attention and I hope that if I've said something that has been beneficial to you uh, and, and good for your soul, that you'll thank God for it. Because I may never speak another word again. I don't know. Who knows about this time next week if I'm going to be alive or not. But if I can say something, you thank God. And let's, uh, let's serve Him all the days of our life. We have the glorious liberty of doing so.